Please be seated. Merry Christmas. Well, here we are, just two days into this strange observance of the 12 days, the 12 seasons, the 12-day season of Christmas, and I've already made a big blender. And I have to ask you to draw upon your Christmas generosity. For today, I worked with the wrong readings. I followed the Lutherans in their Revised Common Rectionary and failed to look at our own Episcopal Lectionary. So I'm going to begin this sermon by taking a moment to read the passage that I was thinking of from Luke. So here it is. In Luke chapter 2. Now every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I, I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then they went down with then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Well, that is quite a story in Luke. In the Revised Readings, it's not two days, days into Christmas, and already we have a 12-year-old boy instead of a beautiful baby. Now, for you and I, we've just come through the hustle and bustle of full-blown Christmas pageantry, all that time spent adoring the baby. And maybe now, in the slackened pace of a more subdued tone, maybe we are fortunate even for a quiet moment or two. Modern Christmas, after all, is tightly connected with sparkling lights and the exchange of gifts and the much-heralded arrival of Jolly St. Nick. But these kinds of festivities fade quickly, except maybe the lingering presence of what is often a hodgepodge of gifts from family, friends, and colleagues. I like the tradition of gift-giving at Christmas, even though it can come with quite a heavy set of baggage. The first year that my husband Randall and I were married, part of our gift exchange was making stocking presents for one another. We were going to help Santa out. I don't remember what I gave him as a big gift that year, but in our house, those stockings are notorious. See, in my childhood, stockings always had some everyday things that you needed in them. Santa was very practical. 
So with great care, I had chosen socks and underwear to add to Randall's stocking along with a traditional orange in his favorite candy. He, on the other hand, had never met a practical Santa, so he could not imagine that this should be part of a stocking. He instead filled my stocking with expensive perfume and beautiful butterfly earrings. When he opened his stocking, he looked at me as if to say, what kind of a person gives socks and underwear as a gift? I thought he would never let me live that down, that present disaster. But gratefully, he has changed his position of equating my love for him with socks and underwear. Despite the many ways that gift-giving can come, become distorted with anxiety or disappointment, it still has the power to be a great symbol of what lies at the heart of Christmas. For Christmas is the time we celebrate God's great gift of salvation to all humanity. This salvation comes in the mystery of Christmas, in the astonishing incarnation of baby Jesus that we heard from our gospel in John. Oh, the gift of a baby who brings salvation is such a lovely, appealing thought. What a beautiful gift to think of gazing with adoration into the eyes of a little child. But here we find ourselves just three days into Christmas. And from that reading in Luke, the Revised Lectionary would have us change from quickly the nativity story into from the picture of a beautiful baby Jesus instead into a 12-year-old boy headed deep into the throes of adolescence. Jesus, who in asserting his independence, forgot to fill his parents in on his plan to extend his stay in Jerusalem in the temple. I did not even get my baby fix before the sweet image of Mary holding Jesus in his arms is pushed aside by this family drama. It seems that even the incarnate word is a wee bit challenging for his parents as a teenager. As I think of all that Mary and Joseph had to navigate as parents to this truly uni unique child, it makes me wonder what did Mary in particular draw upon to find her way through it all. I wonder how often she may have thought of other mothers in scripture whose children came as miraculous gifts. I can imagine Mary pondering the story of Hannah. Hannah was my other text that I looked at for today. Remember Hannah? She was barren like so many other matriarchs of the Old Testament. And she is heartbroken because she has no children, and she pleads with God for a child. She prays so hard in the court of the tabernacle that Eli the priest thinks she is drunk. While he rebukes her public display of intoxication, she, in turn, pours out her heartbreak to Eli. In this strange exchange between Eli and Hannah, Hannah seems to have caught God's attention. In her prayers, Hannah promised God that if God will give her a child, a son, she would give him back to the service of God in the tabernacle. He would go to live with the priests. So the text will go on to say, Yahweh kept Hannah in mind, and with the turning of the season, she miraculously gives birth to a baby boy, Samuel. 
Hannah's overflowing joy in the gift of this child is conveyed in her own beautiful song of praise, whose themes will later be echoed in Mary's own Magnificat. I love Hannah's story, but honestly, I am nowhere near willing to drop off my child in the church and leave her here forever. If I am honest, I am confounded by the magnitude of the gift exchange that occurs between God and Hannah. In the depths of despair over her continued childlessness, Hannah makes a request and a promise to God. It is a covenantal agreement the likes of which most parents today could not imagine and would not make. Looking ahead to the role that Samuel plays in God's plan of salvation for the people of this of Israel, this can seem like a good move on Hannah's part. However, since neither Hannah nor any of us have the ability to see into the future, that Hannah not only makes but also keeps covenant with God from this story in Samuel offers us a startling testimony of faithfulness, of giving back to God. The birth of her first child after years of barrenness and its attendant shame is more than just a moment of celebration. It is a wellspring of joy for this new mother. And yet, she gladly and willingly gives her son to the temple priest as soon as he is barely weaned. Can you imagine so freely letting go with your hands the person that you so deeply love in your heart? Hannah's love for her child is great. In the book of Samuel, we hear testimony of that love and all the care that she pours into bringing an annual gift of a robe. Year after year, she travels up to the tabernacle and presents a new robe, a gift to her growing beloved child. I think this gift of a robe is a clue to the sacred wisdom in Hannah's heart. For in the book of Samuel... This young boy is described as being clothed in a linen ephod. Already, he wears the attire of a priest, a symbol of young Samuel's identity in the household of God. And yet, he also wears a robe made by his mother's hands that marks him as a beloved child of Hannah, also a particular identity that shapes his personhood as he grows. It is Hannah's love for God that enables her to keep covenant with God and to give her child fully into the service of God. She has no way of knowing that her son Samuel will grow into a great prophet. But having already experienced the favor of God, she continues in her own way in the work of God by giving her child an identity grounded in the service of God. She receives her child Samuel as a gift and then gives him as a gift to God's service. Hannah's relationship to God and to her child is inspiring and daunting to any mother of the faith. But I like to think it also lends power and depth to Mary's own faith as she ponders the most challenging moments of Jesus' life. Like when, in our reading from Luke, she poignantly is reminded of Jesus' own awareness of his God-giving identity being shaped in temple debate. Mary herself, despite all the miraculous trappings of Jesus' birth, seems here a bit reluctant to leave her son in the temple. 
And so she will bring him home to Nazareth. Like Mary, many parents find it difficult to give their children to God. I find it difficult to loosen my hold, to relinquish my judgment as to what is best for my own child or for my family. It is hard enough to let her walk out the door with mismatched socks. But Hannah and Mary's story call me to remember that my child has a greater identity as a child of God than even my own claim upon her. Hers and every child's identity in Christ is a beloved gift that will only mature and become the most beautiful as they are wrapped up and given again into God's hands. As Christians, we are privileged to give our children and others' children, and in all truth, all the people that we love deeply back to God. It is not only children, but all those we live in relationship with that require the wisdom of this kind of love, this kind of gift-giving love that can be so challenging. There are so many ways that gift-giving can be tangled up. It can become mired down in our own expectations and the anxiety of finding the perfect gift or being the perfect gift. And we know it simply gets more complicated as we think of the ways we give the gift of love in all our relationships to children or spouses or aging parents, friends, and even strangers. We may be tempted to treat others as if we own them or as if they have demanding obligations to us that have precedent over everything else. We may imagine that the whim of their happiness somehow overshadows the consideration of everyone else's. We can so easily forget our own loved one's call to service to God, just like we can ignore our own. But the stories of Mary and Hannah remind us today that we are called to know that our children and all the people that we love are never ours alone to care for. They are simply not ours alone. They also belong to God. And as we recognize their identity as a beloved gift, it may be a great grace to find the balance of holding on and letting go in thanksgiving and joy. Holding on and letting go in right measure does not keep at bay all great tragedy or keep the path of those we love from piercing our own hearts as Mary's story shows us. But it does give us the greatest hope that even when our children and our loved ones baffle us with the direction of their lives, they remain solidly in the hands of a loving God. The Christmas story shows us that this God who freely gave us his son on Christmas and also on the cross continues to pour out his love as gracious gift so that we can know that the power of love overcomes great darkness, even death. This is no socks and underwear kind of love. It is lavishly bestowed love. It is a Christmas Easter kind of love.